So we've had a little bit of a gap between our podcasts, um, and I just wanted to both recapitulate some of the things that we discussed and also put a framework in place that's going to help us with future podcasts. My, my basic premise when I talk to patients is that there are three ingredients to your health. One is exercise, one is diet, and one is staying the heck away from doctors. And I think most of what this podcast is going to do is to kind of show why our medical system actually causes probably more harm than good. And the further you could stay away from people like me, the better. I, I have a cardiologist friend in town. And you'll see we pick a lot on cardiologists in this podcast, I, I think justifiably so. But I live in a town that has um, among the lowest murder rates in the country. And the cardiologist joked with me, he said, well, when they calculated that number, I guess they didn't take the cardiologist into account. His joke was that doctors are actually killing a lot of people under the premise of saving their lives. And we, we saw this with COVID, right? Um, anyone with open eyes saw this. A lot of people were very uh, closed-minded about this and just listened to the news and believed what they had said. But to those of us who have common sense and our eyes are open and we know that two plus two equals four, we actually saw that the, the system that was being used to contain and control COVID was killing a lot of people, harming a lot of people, maiming a lot of people. And, and that came through by the, by the uh, longevity. So total um, average lifespan increased by almost five, decreased by almost five years during COVID. It dropped. Average life expectancy dropped by almost five years. So, of course, the COVID fanatic said, you know, well, that shows how bad COVID is. But again, people with common sense, a whiff of common sense, will know that's not true. And here's why. Because the average death age of COVID was higher than the average life expectancy of Americans. I.e., you kill more people or more people die who are older than the average average life expectancy, it's not going to lower the average life expectancy. Can't do it. Mathematically impossible. The only way to lower the average life expectancy is to have a lot of young people die. And we did. We killed a lot of young people through our policies. A, a, a lot of young people died from social isolation, from suicides, from drug overdoses, from depression, from not seeking medical attention when they had a serious medical condition, whether it be a blood clot in their lungs or a heart attack or a stroke or cancer. So, so a lot of young people died during this and that lowered our life expectancy dramatically. Thus, the doctors, public health officials, good old Dr. Fauci, who said he was doing a good job for you, were killing people. And, and that's just the people they killed. I mean, dropping the average life expectancy by five years has never happened in the past hundred years. So we, we did more damage um, to human beings than occurs even during a war. And that was in the name of helping people. Well, that's our medical system. And we're gonna, we're gonna show why our medical system is so dangerous. Um, and most of that danger is because of how it treats you. It had, the business model of healthcare is fear. So once they scare you enough, then you'll do pretty much anything they say. We've also talked about cognitive dissonance, and one of the biggest factors that cause people to trust doctors is that they trust doctors. Doctors are trustworthy people, and, and so 
um, people just inherently trust them. They think they're scientific and benign. In fact, I know from firsthand knowledge, neither of those are true. Certainly not scientific. Um, medical school teaches you to think like a robot, not like an actual scientist. You're supposed to memorize protocols and spit them back, but you don't actually think. The more you think, the worse you'll do on the standardized testing that gets you into and through medical school. So thinking is strongly discouraged, and our medical community has proven that time and time again um, by the way they are so thoughtless. So again, the first thing they do is scare you. The second thing they do is offer you treatments that um, they say are going to help you, but they will tell you the good the treatments do using very deceptive techniques that we're going to talk about. They will rarely focus on any harm these treatments can cause or what would happen if you don't take the treatments. Then you go up and talk to your friends. And again, that's where the cognitive dissonance gets even thicker because your friends say, well, I'm alive today and I did exactly what the doctor says, i.e. I'm alive because I did what the doctor said. There's no, nothing in their brain that says they'd probably be alive anyway or that they're lucky to be alive despite what the doctor says because God help us if everyone listened to what the doctor says. When we talk about prostate cancer, um, you'll see why that, that's the case because that's a condition that kills so one percent of men with prostate cancer die whether or not they're treated but we spent billions of dollars treating them with drugs that kill them so go figure that out and yet and yet um despite that fact we're despite the fact we're killing many more people um with prostate cancer and saving nobody people flock to the urologist who do this procedure and, and say but that, that's our medical system so it's a combination of scaring people to death, and then offering people snake oils. You believe these doctors because they're authoritative, trustworthy figures, and then your friends confirm what you say. And any friend who doesn't agree with that, you pretty much think is some kind of fanatic who's like anti-science and all that kind of stuff. We've seen, we saw this in COVID, but I've been living this for 30 years um, in my foray into the healthcare system. So, so the three big things we're gonna talk about um, that are the bricks of this deception that doctors throw at us are number one, numbers. So back in 1917, 1911, when, uh, when it, was a, it was a continuum when Abraham Flexner made his, wrote the Flexner Report under the auspices of the American Medical Association and the Rockefeller and Carnegie Foundations um, to basically take ownership of the medical system the, the, the basic premise was that we are able to fix human beings by measuring their numbers and fixing the numbers. This competed against, like we said, Osler's vision of healthcare that was prevalent in Hopkins and that got crushed by Flexner, which was that, no, numbers vary from person to person. Sometimes what's abnormal in one person is normal in another person. We have to see how the patient's doing. We got to talk to the patient. We don't want to use a lot of medicines because medicines are dangerous. Um, and we want the patient to tell us how, how, how to proceed because the patient knows better than anyone else. That was Osler and that, we don't do that anymore. Our medical system's based on measuring and fixing numbers. Alan Roth and I um, talk about this extensively in our upcoming book, uh, which shows how the, the trajectory from 1911 through the present is a trajectory of measuring diagnosing and treating. So we measure numbers, we give you a disease based on those numbers, scare you, 
with the disease and then treat you. And the success of our treatment is based on fixing the number. We can fix all your numbers and you can feel sick and stink, but we as doctors will be satisfied because that's what we're trained to do is fix your numbers. We don't care a whiff about you. We care about your numbers. And we will go all out to make sure anything we diagnose as a disease is fixed, even, even if that fixing is incredibly dangerous. Number two, that we're, the next thing we're going to talk about is called surrogate markers. Crucial, crucial concept that you'll understand after this podcast series. Surrogate markers are some measurement that stands in place of a disease. So, for instance, we'll talk extensively about this, but you might go to um, a doctor and they'll do a bone density test and they'll measure bone density and they'll say, wow, you have low bone density. Bone density is standing in place of a disease. The disease is osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is a disease that leads to fractures. So really the true disease is fractures, breaking bones. Bone density we measure, we then create this intricate score called a frac score and we say, well, if you don't you know, take our medicines, then you're going to break bones and guaranteed to do it in the next five years. Now, bone density is a surrogate marker. Is there any evidence that bone density um, actually is a good gauge of fracture? No, actually. Believe it or not, we just make that assumption. Um, as a quick example, if you throw a piece of ice at a wall, it's going to fracture. If you throw a rubber ball at a wall, it's not. And the ice has a much higher bone density than the rubber ball, or a bone much higher density. But we'll get into that more. Surrogate markers. Cholesterol is a surrogate marker. We assume if we lower our cholesterol, of less heart disease. Um, you know, there, there are surrogate markers up and down the continuum that have no correlation to actual disease, but we've associated them with disease. Things like blockages in your heart are surrogate markers. So now the FDA is able to approve drugs um, if they fix a surrogate marker. They could kill you, but if they fix a surrogate marker, they're approved for that disease. That, that's another problem with our medical system, but it's based on this idea that surrogate markers are important. The third concept we'll talk about is called clinical efficacy. Clinical efficacy means that we are going to help you in a way that actually you notice that it's important. Maybe you'll live longer, maybe you'll feel better, something, something you'll notice. So we talked about it with atrial fibrillation, right? We, we peddle drugs that kill a lot of people, but these are the blood thinners, um, cause a lot of misery, bleeding, death, but we say they produce strokes. Well, the strokes that they reduce are primarily strokes you'll never know you had. So we want to know the clinically relevant strokes, right? The ones you notice, the ones that affect you. But we don't talk about that because drug studies are usually done using clinically irrelevant information because if we just measured things that actually affected you, then no one would take any drugs because because the, the adverse effects of the drugs would outweigh the clinical benefit. So again, a corollary to this that we'll talk about is whenever you talk about a clinical benefit, you also have to talk about a clinical adverse effect. Every drug has positive and negative, and we have to know clinically what the positive and negative are, not whether they fix a number, not whether they improve a condition, you know, not whether they reduce an outcome that you don't notice. Um, and, and every time, by the same measurement we use to describe to you the clinical benefit, we must describe to you the clinical risk.
has to be done. Doctors don't ever do that. They only, um, studies have shown that, first of all, they only know 10% of what they're talking about. That Lots of studies have shown that, but that they're much more likely to talk about benefit and not risk of everything they prescribe. And they're obsessed with fixing numbers. They're obsessed with measuring surrogate markers and fixing them. And this is the nidus of our healthcare mess and why doctors tend to be um, unfortunately, murder machines um, in the name of science and in the name of humanity. So we're going to talk about some specific examples of this, but we're going to go through each of those in turn. Number fixing first, surrogate marker second, and then we'll talk about clinical efficacy, and then we'll go through some real medical conditions like we did with atrial fibrillation.